Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by Yellow Box teaching pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Decision 2016. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. Hope to see you there. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm as surprised as you are that they let me back up here, so that's a bit of a miracle. Um, Before we begin, let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll jump in. Uh, God, thank you again for the blessing of community, the blessing of life and breath in your presence among us. Thank you, God, for joining us this morning. May your words speak deeply to our hearts, and we thank you, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Uh, Life is full of decisions. Many of you know this, and particularly on uh, this road closure Sunday, we welcome you uh, to gathering with us. Perhaps you made a couple of decisions on the fly this morning, but we know that life is full of decisions, big and small. Some small ones might be, how many times do I hit the snooze button today? Or should I try to make that Hawaiian shirt work? The answer is no. Or should I get bacon on that? The answer is yes. Well done. But some decisions are a little more complex than that, though, aren't they? Where should I go to school? Who, if anyone, should I marry? Where should I put roots down? Should I throw that in the bonfire? Okay, so that last one maybe seemed a little bit weirdly specific. And I'm sure most of you this morning would never think that I would do anything so foolish. But I'm about to shatter that mindset. I was at a church camp... About 20 years ago, I was one, just kidding, Um, I was 13, (laughs) with our church community, and uh, I had been out way later than I had, way later than I should have, and I uh, came back to our campsite, and all of the adults had left the fire raging. I know Smokey the Bear was not happy with them. And I'm looking at this bonfire, it's two in the morning, it's dead quiet, and across from the bonfire, I see one of these. Just sitting there. Some of you are ahead of me. Uh, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I throw this into the fire. Well, I'm going to tell you what will happen. It explodes. Now, it wasn't just the deafening boom that upset all of the nearby campers. It wasn't just the explosive sound. What I did not predict is that it would send flaming shaving cream (laughs) in all directions of the fire, burning holes in a dozen of those camping chairs. So I was met by just a mob of angry church adults, and they just simply asked, what were you thinking? And of course, the answer was, I wasn't. Now, looking back on stories like that are a bit of a blast. See what I did there? Um, But that's not always the case, though, is it? Looking back on the decisions that we make. But here's the deal. Decisions shape our lives. They, they choose for, they, when we decide um, b- various parts of our life, they will affect the trajectory dramatically of who we will become. So for this series, we're calling it Decision 2016, and we're talking about the most important decision someone can make, to follow and to really follow 
Jesus Christ. Last week, we challenged everyone to ask the question, am I a fan or am I actually a follower? A fan follows when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, when they can remain in control, but followers are very, very different. In Luke 9, Jesus tells us exactly what being a follower means. We read in 9.23, if any of you wants to be my follower, he's asking the question he's assuming they're asking. If you want to be my follower, here's what that looks like. You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Did you, did you catch that? There's, there's really three things there. It says, one, turn from your selfish ways. That, that means there will be times in our life where we need to say no to something in order to say yes to God. That's difficult for me because I'm a classic example of trying to just do everything all the time. There will be times that we'll have to say no to certain things in order to say yes to God. It says, take up your cross daily. So this means not only turning from our selfish ways, that means putting them to death. Bearing a cross means carrying the heavy, sometimes arduous weight of walking this road with Jesus. And I think the fact that he says daily there is not insignificant because he knew that you and I would all struggle with spiritual amnesia. He says, do this every day. Turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross. And then lastly, he says, follow me. Now, this phrase, follow me, is not insignificant. In the ancient Near East, for a rabbi to say to someone, follow me, was hugely important. For a rabbi to say to a student or a pupil, follow me, it meant that that pupil then followed everything they did, walked closely behind. In fact, there was an ancient saying that went something like this, be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi, as if to say, walk so closely, follow so intently that literally the dust from his sandals kicks up on you. Following Jesus is a daily commitment to learn from him, to grow in him, and to be in relationship with him. Imagine, just for a second, what that must have been like, to be close to him, not, not just here, but here, to, to walk with him, to tell stories with him, to laugh, to share meals. What do you think that would have been like? Many of us sort of have this picture of Jesus where he's always wearing a white robe and he's got like a beauty pageant sash and he just sort of glides everywhere, right? Well, MTV was actually asking that same question. What, what would it like to live and spend time with Jesus? So they're rolling out one of their all-time favorite shows of all time. Take a look. Get ready, America, for the biggest season of The Real World yet. MTV and TBN present The Real World Season 33. See what happens when a waitress from Fort Lauderdale, a sous chef from Chicago, and the Messiah from Nazareth all get together with 10 other eclectic roommates in the same house all summer. It's funny, I enjoyed meeting all of my other housemates, but Jesus, he was different. You know, he, he asked me all kinds of questions. Um, I told him I was a server. Uh, he said he was too. I love to cook, obviously. And uh, we all take turns here, which is cool. But whenever Jesus prepares the meal, it's like, I don't know how he does it, but there's always so much food left over. 
Yeah, me too, but don't you think he's a little weird? Well, I, I mean, he did know all about my ex-boyfriends and my current one. Right, you told me 138. 138 what? Hairs on my head. He literally knows everything about me, and I'm kind of cool with it. Oh. I am thinking of doing some serious DTRing this weekend. Yeah, me too. Guys, 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 we got a big problem. We're all out of wine. What are we gonna do? Excuse me. <laughs> I love Jesus. I do. Who's the best? Guys, guys, I was following Jesus around all day today, but I can't seem to find him anywhere. Oh, I saw him earlier. Uh, he said he was going to prepare a place for us. Wait, we're going to a different house? <laughs> Yeah, apparently it has a bunch of rooms. Sounds heavenly. Get to know Jesus this season on The Real World. You won't want to miss a single episode. <laughs> what would happen to the guy that tackled Jesus? That's maybe not a good idea. So we know that following Jesus is, is more than just checking a box, right? It's more than just simply attending an event. So, so maybe it's actually time for all of us to have a DTR with Jesus. You all know what DTR is, right? If you grew up in a Christian uh, campus environment, you probably heard the phrase, uh, determine the relationship. And in my case, that usually meant something bad. If a girl wanted to have a DTR, it usually was something like, you're just such a good brother in Christ, or I'm going to date Jesus for a little while, or... I don't date Tigers fans. Things like that, you know. Uh, I'm not bitter, really. But DTRs are worthwhile because they determine the trajectory of our relationship. Some of us don't want to hear it. Some of us don't want to have them, but they're worth having. There's this guy named John Bloomberg who wrote a book called Silent Alarms. And he talks about the different silent alarms, the snooze buttons that we are often tempted to hit in our lives and just let important things pass by. Can, Can anyone relate to that? I have a severe case of what I would call morning math. Anyone like add it up as you're sleeping, how long it takes you to do things only to find that you're way off? Like I'll hit a snooze and I'll be like, I can shower in 40 seconds, right? (laughs) Hit it again. Like I can get dressed in 0.3 seconds. That's accurate. And then you finally snap out of it and you realize you don't have time for anything. And the book is talking about the things that we let pass by, the snooze alarms that we hit as we sleepwalk through life and we don't want that for you this morning. We don't want you to sleepwalk through pivotal seasons, pivotal opportunities in your life. Now, some of you, honestly, you might be on the fence this morning with this whole Jesus thing, and that's okay. We we are so glad that you are here, but others of you, if I'm really honest, you've been hitting the snooze button for a while. You've been coming, you've been singing, and maybe you're saying things like, when I have this in order, or when I have X amount of time, or, or when this is done, then I'll really get serious about my relationship. But here's the beauty of the gospel. God not only invites us, but desires a close, intimate relationship with us, and not just weekend custody. He doesn't just want a casual connection. He doesn't want an occasional conversation. He doesn't want a snooze button relationship. He doesn't want just merely a fan. He wants a follower. And if we're honest, I don't think a lot of us are good with that level of intimacy. I have a buddy, maybe you have a friend like this, and when I see him coming, I love him to death, but I'll sort of like do that back into a corner shuffle because he's what I would call 
a close talker. Anyone know a close talker? Yeah, don't point here. He's, he's kind of like, remember this character from Seinfeld, the guy that had just no regard for personal space? Like you start reaching for like mints or gum because you know he's about to be all up in your grill, right? We don't always like that type of closeness, that type of intimacy. But here's the amazing thing, that God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, is already that close. Do you feel the weight of that this morning? That he's present and near and no matter who you are or where you've been, God knows you intimately. Can I get an amen, please? Amen. There, there is something profoundly shattering to all of our ideals of what that means to be in a relationship when God says, I'm already close. There's this Hebrew word for the word know, which is maybe the best biblical word to describe this intimacy. And it's the word yada. Let me all say yada together. Okay, let's say it one more time, but with gesto. One, two, three. There you go. If somebody asks you uh, later today what the sermon was about, you could say, you know, Jesus, the Bible, yada, 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 something (laughs) like that. That that one's a throwaway. Uh, Here's the definition. It means to know and be known completely. To know and be known completely. How beautiful is that? One Hebrew scholar calls it a mingling of souls. A mingling of souls, which apply, I mean, that implies a whole lot more than just a casual conversation, doesn't it? It's a knowing fully. It's a depth of intimacy that you and I, every single one of us in this room, can have with God. So, so just how well does God actually know us? Listen to the psalmist here in Psalm 139. He says, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. There's not anything that you do that he's not aware of. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Do you know what that word know there is in that passage? It's the word yada. It's just not... It's not just data about, it's not just facts about, it says, you have searched me, Lord, and you yada me. God yadas when we sit and rise. He yadas all our ways. He yadas words before we even speak them. God knows us in unmeasurably unthinkable ways from Genesis to Revelation. This is the word we use to describe that. With God, there's a huge difference between knowing things about and knowing deeply. Here's what I'm convinced, and I don't know a lot of you yet. If we're honest, I think a lot of us, our relationship looks a little more like Facebook stalking than intimacy. You ever realize when you're kind of scrolling through Facebook, maybe you're wasting time and you get like a few pictures in and you realize you don't even know anyone in that picture? Anyone had that terrifying moment? Like, what am I doing here? I have to go outside. I think there are probably a lot of us that know a lot of things about God, and maybe this morning you're longing to fully know God. In Luke 7, we, we, we get a glimpse of this kind of intimacy that God desires. Here's the scene. There's a religious leader that invites a bunch of people to his home, and so Jesus is relaxing, and then a, a woman shows up. And all that we're really told about this woman is that she's notorious. 
She's lived a busted up life. In fact, it's fair to assume that most people at the party were not thrilled that she was there. But the depth of her affection for Jesus moves her so much that she begins to weep. And then she begins to wipe her tears from his feet with her hair. She takes out perfume and anoints his feet with it. But Simon, the host of the event, is not all that thrilled. He begins to think of him, he begins to think to himself, if Jesus were really God, he'd stop this. He would know about this woman, he would know that she is disgusting. Simon scoffs at this display of intimacy and closeness, this this outpouring of love and affection. But Jesus, knowing Simon's heart, turns to him and tells him this story. Listen in Luke 7. He says, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He says, right on. Then he turned toward the woman who is now on the floor, wiping his feet, and said to Simon, do you, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Uh, Here's what I think. I think Simon knew a lot about God, but I think this woman knew God. I think Simon knew about the power of God, but this woman knew the amazing power of God. Simon knew about acceptance, but this woman knew the acceptance of God. Simon knew about Jesus, but this woman knew Jesus. This woman knew Jesus, experienced him, worshipped him, and loved him. So I have to ask this question. Do you really know God this morning? You might be thinking, I'm not actually sure. And that's what we're talking about this series, making a decision. As author Eric Lydell says, says, you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. What that means is if we want to know the God of comfort, we have to actually turn to him when we're hurting. If we want to know the God who forgives, we have to confess our sin to him. If we want to know the God of hope, we have to look to him when we're discouraged. If we want to know the God who is faithful, we have to trust him when our life seems uncertain. And if we want to know the God who is generous, we have to express gratitude to him for what he's already given. These decisions shape us. You know this. I think there's probably a lot of different reasons why we wouldn't decide, why we'd stay on the fence, why we'd be okay with a snooze button relationship. For some of you, it might be pride. Maybe at this point in the message, you're sort of sitting, arms crossed, thinking, I don't don't really need God. Our, Our sense of independence sort of blinds us from the greatest love we could ever know. Maybe it's time. Maybe you just don't have time for God. He doesn't fit in your schedule. Perhaps you're thinking, um, listen, God, God, I have space for Jesus in my heart, but not in my calendar. Maybe it's fatigue. Maybe we're just plain tired. Anyone ever gotten home from work? You're just plain exhausted, and so you just binge watch like four seasons of The Office. We binge watch into a Netflix oblivion, and we do it again the next day. Maybe it's selfishness. If we're really honest, Maybe this whole denying ourselves conversation just doesn't sound all that appealing. And I would maybe add another one. Maybe it's just distraction. 
anyone feel the gravity of that? There's just so many things yelling for our attention. I remember years ago, I was, uh, I was in India, and I was visiting this family. I was sitting on their one-room, dirt-floor, corrugated metal house. Honestly, I think the house would have been smaller than this stage piece here. And we're sitting on the floor, and there's a bit of a language barrier. And the, the husband uh, looks to me, and he says, um, young man, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm from the United States. And the wife begins to tear up. And she puts her hand out on my shoulder, which you're not really supposed to do in this culture. And she says to me these words, oh, we pray for you in America. We can't imagine what it must be like to pursue closeness with Jesus in a place as distracting as America. And I'm sitting on a dirt floor. And honestly, my thought is, you pray for me? No, 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 no. I pray for you. And it was months later that God really began to do a work in my heart and I realized how right she was. There are so many other things yelling for our attention and maybe that's you this morning. Jesus is nice, throw him on the pile of all the other things I do. And and to be really honest, there's not a thing on that list that I haven't struggled with. Every single one of them. But I would argue that a lot of our lethargy A lot of our distraction and even a lot of our burnout doesn't actually come from a lack of downtime. It comes from a lack of closeness with the God who created us. Now, I'm not saying some of us aren't workaholics. I'm not saying some of you don't go way too hard. But what if what what we're missing is an actual yada type of closeness with the God who knows everything about us? The first step. And choosing to know God, to know him in that way, is to turn toward him. We call this word repentance. You know what repentance is? Repentance is when you're driving down the freeway and you realize that you're heading in the absolutely wrong direction. Anyone ever been there before? Right? You first swallow your pride. You recognize, I'm going the wrong direction. And then the moment you realize you're going the wrong direction, what should you do next? You look for an exit ramp, right? The moment you realize that's not where I should be going, that's not the direction I should be heading, you look for an off-ramp and you turn around. That's this picture of repentance that we're given. It's not just saying sorry. It's not even just feeling bad about certain things. It's saying that's not where life is. That's not where hope is. That's not where completion is. That's not where my identity is. It's here. I better turn around and we look for an exit ramp. And we turn and run to Jesus. This moment right here, you can do that. That's the beauty of the God who's infinite and yet close. We can choose to repent, to start fresh. You can choose to start on a new or renewed journey. Now, there's another choice that we can make today. You can choose repentance. We can also choose relationship. This means that we can choose to engage in certain practices that will help Stir our affections for Christ. This was something that was never really taught to me as a child. No one ever said to me, did you know that God actually wants you to enjoy him? That might be kind of baffling for even some of you this morning. Do you know that God calls us not only to obey him, but to delight in him? How crazy is that? That God says, I I want you to enjoy me as, as children enjoy a good father. A few years ago, a guy named Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. And in this book, he suggests that there are different pathways 
different actions that we can take to grow in our intimacy with Christ. It's probably no surprise that we're all wired in different ways. We're drawn in different ways. And so here are a couple of the pathways. I'll read a few of them. One of them is contemplative. For you, that may be a regular meditative discipline, prayer, and stillness. If that's you, God bless you. You guys are probably also journalers, right? You're the holiest people I know. I can't do it. Maybe for you, it's an intellectual path. It's pursuing God through study, through a cerebral work. Maybe you're a naturalist. Maybe being out in God's creation just stirs that up in you. It awakens your soul in a way nothing else does. Maybe it's aesthetics. Maybe for some of you, it's just blocking out time for solitude and simplicity. Maybe you're an activist. Maybe for you, maybe the way that your affections are stirred is like getting your hands dirty. It's actually doing something about it. This is why our work at Community 412 is so important. Now, those are only five of the ten. We actually, on our website, have put an assessment. I would encourage every single one of you today, take this test. It's like 45 questions. It will offer you so much clarity about how this God has wired you to know him. And this would be my challenge. Why not try the things even in the ways that you're not wired? Try all of them. Whatever pathway, though, you try, please hear me in this. The goal is not the pathway. The goal is not the discipline itself. The goal is to have our affections stirred for the God who loves us more deeply than we can even understand the word. The goal is to know him and to know him deeply. Over 20 years ago, I decided to say yes to following Jesus, to really follow him. And it hasn't been without its bumps, let me tell you. I made a lot of mistakes. I've thrown a lot of shaving cream into bonfires, so to speak. But I've never, ever regretted that decision to be all in to choose relationship. When we move from being a fan to a follower, our entire life is impacted. You choose to know Jesus and to be known by him and it changes everything. So what will you decide? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us with that kind of love. Thank you for pursuing us when we were foolish, when we were rebellious, when we were far. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel that no matter who we are in this room, you desire not just to save us from a distance, but to get in close. God, what a gift that is. We thank you. We love you. And I pray for every one of us in this room that's wrestling with that decision that we would choose to move from being a fan to a follower. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said.